Have you enjoyed the Bible up to this point? Well, here in the book of Chronicles, get ready to hear the whole story again. Well, welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith. This is Brandon. Welcome to Daily Gospel. Um, it's going to be awesome. We're going to be talking about First Chronicles today. Um, I want to remind you guys to like, subscribe, comment. And uh, yeah, we're uh, just pastors at a church here in Santa Cruz, California, and I uh, just want to welcome you guys to listening into this podcast. Yeah, let us know your questions in the comments section. We'd oh, yeah. love to engage with you online. If, so if you're on YouTube, put them in the comments section. If you're on Spotify, mm-hmm. that's tough luck, I guess. Yeah, tough luck. You have to comment on YouTube still, I guess. Awesome. Well, let's let's review a little bit about where we're at in the Bible, because we're reading the Bible through the entire year, and here we're commenting and talking about certain sections of books. We're in First Chronicles today, um, but let's review where we're at. So yeah, big picture, because we've we've been getting into the details of the kings of Israel, and maybe we've lost a little bit of the big picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what we've seen from the very beginning of the Bible is we've seen that land is important, yep. that offspring is important, yep. and that the people of Israel are looking for a, a king and a priest who can rule over them well and can lead them to God's presence well. So yep. from the beginning of the Bible, land is a focal point with the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. And it's that land is lost when people are cast out of the, of the garden because of Adam and Eve's sin. Right. And so um, they're looking for that promised land again. Right. And God's bringing them into it. God. Yep. So we've seen the story of Exodus and the bringing them into the promised land in Joshua, that God's people are settling in the land. They're driving out the inhabitants that are evil yes, in order to connect with God and to, to worship Him and to yep. be a light to the nations. And yet, of course, they fail, and we saw in the book of First, Second Kings, and so the land is lost. Mm-hmm. So that idea of land is still very much a, a big thing, right? Especially in exile, are they going to ever have the land mm-hmm. as they should have it? Right. So Chronicles is going to deal with that. It's also going to deal with the idea of the offspring, right? Because from Adam on, they're looking for an offspring who will crush the head of the serpent. Yeah. Right? You preached on Genesis three fifteen, mm-hmm. not too long ago. Right, that there's going to be one who will crush the head of the serpent. So that's from the line of Adam and Eve. Right. But it's traced down through David. Abraham yeah. and Judah and then David. Yeah. And so that's going to, th- when we see these genealogies at the beginning, you have to keep that in mind. Right. And we actually like, saw at the end of Second Kings, it kind of ended with the hope of, you know, the offspring continuing and the hope of a king. That's to come, right. right? Yeah. So. That's right. So yeah, and the offspring is going to be a king. Mm-hmm. And really, there's also a hope for a priest, which are going to eventually be combined into one person. Right. And so we'll see that quite a bit in the book of First and Second Chronicles, which is focused heavily on the religious, on the uh, the cultic worship kind of stuff, right? right? The actual practices of worship. Right. So if you've already started reading uh, First Chronicles, um, you know, and, and by the way, obviously, like in the original text, this is one one book, it wasn't split into two. It would be just Chronicles, not first and second. But in First Chronicles, if you've already started reading it, if you're about to start reading it, you're gonna notice like repetition and kind of like boring type of reading, right? Yeah. Let's let's address that elephant in the room. When the Bible like repeats stuff, like what's the value in that? Yeah, why yeah, like why do I need to hear this all again? I've yeah. already heard about David, I've already heard about all these kings, Solomon, all this stuff. Why like why is this here? Right. That's a fair question, but the Bible repeats things Pretty often, mm-hmm. obviously, the Exodus story is repeated a bunch. Um, the the ministry of Jesus, we have four different gospels to repeat mm-hmm. that. Saul repeats his own conversion story, right? The Apostle Paul right. repeats that conversion story again and again. When the Bible repeats something, 
The Bible is trying to teach us. So a good teacher will repeat and repeat and repeat, mm-hmm. right? And so the Bible is doing that. It's po- drawing your attention to things that are significant. And so in this case, Chronicles is really about summing up the story of the Old Testament. Right. So the name for the book in Hebrew translates to events of the days. This kind of sounds like Chronicles, right? right? Stories. Um, but in Greek, they, they named it Things Left Over. Hmm. Um, which is not a very, it's not a flattering name. No, it's not. Um, so the, the, but the idea, I mean, it kind of feels that way, right? Like things that are just kind of left over. Mm-hmm. And yet that's not what it is. It is, I mean, it's very important. Um, the Chronicles is, is the story of the Bible, of the Hebrew Bible from, from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. Right? It's the Old Testament from beginning to end. So it points, it starts with Adam and it ends with a return from exile. Right. So it's not like Second Kings, which is just about this one period of history and doesn't see their return from the exile. Mm-hmm. So this is written to people, uh, the people of Israel, after the return from exile, after the proclamation of Cyrus's return, mm-hmm. and it's it's written for those Jews. So you have to read it through that lens. Right. And it's written uh, in a way to give them hope for the future. Mm-hmm. That's what God wants to do. He wants to give them a hope for the future. And the way he does that is by looking back on their history, reminding them of certain truths that ground them, give them an identity as a people, and point forward to hints of what the coming Messiah and his kingdom will look like. Right. So there's going to be a, a real positive focus on a, on a lot of parts of Israel's history. And there's lots of details here that actually weren't present right. in First and Second Kings. Well, really, it spans, you know, Samuel, exactly. First and Second Kings, yeah, David. So it it goes through through a lot of it. Um, but this is looking back in order to see what the future is going to bring hmm. and how God is going to bless His people. Right. And I think that just that alone is very instructive for us as Christians, for sure. I mean, we're always looking back. Mm-hmm. This is, was big in Deuteronomy too, right? Mm-hmm. Remember, remember, yeah. remember what God has done. Remember the Exodus. Remember His salvation, the character of God because of these things. Yeah. And so, just like that, we should also look back to the Exodus, to the flood story, to all these stories to remember, remind ourselves of who God is. Yeah, and to, like I think it's also a great reminder of reminder of who man is, right? Like, look at the kings, look at the judges, and how broken they are, and how in need are they of the actual true king, which is really obviously clear from us as readers that it should be God, right? But, Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, it's a great reminder on both, front, both fronts that we need to be, you know, remembering the past. So, so Chronicles is a, is a theological text. I mean, that seems mm-hmm. kind of obvious because it's in the Bible. <laughs> but it's, it's written with a specific theological emphasis, mm-hmm. and it's pointing us to certain truths and kind of telling Israel what to look for. Mm. In the future, right? So that this this book was actually I don't know if I said this already, but this book in the Hebrew Bible was the last book mm-hmm. of the Hebrew canon, right? And it's pretty obvious now that we've explained it why that is, right? Because it's summing up the whole thing. So for us, it's after First Second Kings, which I think is I think is a bad placement, right? You know, we're taking the Bible as it's given to us. We're just reading through it as a church, but it, it does fit much better at the end right. to look back and to put the pieces together and to say. This is how you should be viewing history in the future moving forward. Right. Yeah, makes sense. So, you want to get in the text? Yeah. Cool. Oh, we haven't made any Chronicles of Narnia jokes. Dang it. Come on now. Well, you know, I mean, I didn't read the books growing up, and it's not ingrained in my, you know. Oh, man. Missing, missing out, man. I know. You had an impoverished childhood. I Well, surely. Impoverished because of the lack of the Lord, for <laughs> sure. But thanks for reminding me of the sad, <laughs> sad upbringing. Chronicles, chapter the lack one. Of, <laughs> lack of contemporary Christian music. 
in your life? No, that's a blessing, actually. No, <laughs> come on, no. DC Talk, Five you, Iron you, Frenzy. You and my wife uh, are my education sources for cultural Christianity. Yeah, so. yeah the good stuff. Yeah. The good stuff you missed. Well, are we going to jump in then? I would love to jump into chapters one through nine. That would be great. Let's just tackle this, you know, descendants, this list of names. Um, and I know you guys don't, you know, I guarantee you didn't read every name, you know. Yeah, because you're sinners. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. there's some gold. If you actually sit down and read through, you know, the whole thing, there's some horribly evil and also comical stuff, you know. Yeah. But, this, yeah. Is, this, is the, this is like um, biblical sheep counting. Reading yeah. this. It's like biblical <laughs> ambient, right? Yeah. It's like, uh, it's just going to put you, just going to knock you right out. So, <laughs> yeah, th- this is tough to read. Um, but why is this so important? Well, again, the author is focusing on the entire scope of history. So we start with Adam's line, mm-hmm. and he's tracing the line of the Messiah and the rebuilding of the temple. Right. So that's one big focus. And there's a special focus in this line on Judah, Levi, and Benjamin. Yep. So as you're going through it, you might have seen that focus on Judah's line, David's family, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of skips around. But the, the main focus then is on Levi in chapter 6. Mm-hmm. Lots of detail about Levi's descendants. That's the priestly line. And then also a focus on Benjamin. So those lines make a lot of sense because, like I, I said... Chronicles is focused heavily on the coming Messiah, the king from the line of Judah, from the line of David, and priest, who at this point in history we don't know are going to be combined in one person in Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ. But So so that's the focus. Um, And you have to understand this idea throughout the scriptures of corporate solidarity. That's That's a big term, but it really the idea of corporate solidarity is that we are united with people in history. So as the king goes, so goes the entire nation. Mm -hmm. So we can see this today, right? When we get a a president or a a leader in some sense, that their decisions have an impact on everyone. Right. As much as we might not like it, that's just the reality. And it's it's true in a deeper sense of people like Adam, Abraham, David throughout the throughout the Bible, that their decisions impact their descendants. Mm for better and for worse, right? So Adam, when Adam sinned, we all sinned in Adam mm-hmm. because we all come from Adam. Right. So we're born sinful. That's just a reality of humanity. We don't choose to be born sinful, but we are born sinful. Um, and David is supposed to be this was one to lead his people, and he does it in some ways, right? Killing, da- killing Goliath. I almost said killing David and Goliath. <laughs> um, killing Goliath, fighting the battles for Israel. And so this, it's very important to understand who you come from, because you're united to them if you're part of the people of Israel, right. people of faith. So, so we see actually at the end of the genealogy, we see a list of returned exiles. Yep, um, That's really important as well because it points to, like I said, this is written to people post-exile. This is written to people who are living in that time after the exile, waiting for the, the temple to come, mm-hmm. the, the, the hope of Israel to return, the glory of the kingdom, and the coming Messiah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just for some fun stuff, like if there's, like I said earlier, there are some nuggets of comedy in uh, these lists of names. Like, check out chapter 7, verse 23 and 24. I guess just 23. And Ephraim went into his wife, and she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Bariah, uh, because disaster had befallen his house. So you literally just called your kid disaster. Wow. Yeah. yeah that's, that's rough, man. That's got to be one of the worst names in... In the Bible, I don't know. We have a lot of kids at our church, so Briah. Briah. 
Nabal yeah. means fool. That's, yep. like, that's another bad one. <laughs> that is a nugget, man. That's that's good stuff. Yeah. Um, see, that's why you, you got to plow through it and get those good nuggets like yep. Keith got. That's just really deepened your walk with God, didn't it? <laughs> so the story portion starts in chapter 10 with Saul. Right. We don't hear a lot about Saul, but basically it focuses on the downfall of Saul. So it starts with Saul dying. And it's it's interesting, actually. There's a sort of a editorial comment at the end of the death of Saul. Mm-hmm. Chapter 10, verse 13, it says, Saul died for his breach of faith. He right. broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the command of the Lord and consulted a medium seeking guidance. He did not seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. Hmm. So it starts off with a failed king before getting to David. So it right. starts off with the foil, as we saw before, that, that negative image of a king before going to, to, to David. And really what we're seeing in Saul is sort of a summary of what's going to happen with all of Israel. Yeah. That that he didn't listen to the word of the Lord. The yeah, same with the kings, yeah. Yeah, he sought yeah. guidance from somewhere other than God's word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, that emphasis throughout the Bible, the Bible really likes the Bible. <laughs> the Bible really wants you to trust in the Bible. Yeah, it's God's word. And we still do the same thing today. Oh, yeah. we still, I mean, we're still constantly questioning God's word. And nitpicking it and saying, oh, we don't need to trust in that part of that part. And it's so clear mm-hmm. that lack of full trust in Scripture, right. that Scripture is sufficient, has led to so many failures throughout history. Right. Anyway, that's just, you know, my, my sermon. Hey, you gotta, you, gotta, you gotta preach on that. That's a yeah. good thing to preach on. Preacher's gonna preach. Yep, always. Yep. Um, so, so there's a bad king to start, but then in comes a good king in David. Mm-hmm. And really, what we'll see in Chronicles... If you've already read through it, you may, may have noticed this. It's a very positive account of David's life. Yeah. So, what, yeah. What's up with that? Why isn't Why isn't um, David as a murderer and adulterer put put in the story? What's up with Bathsheba? Well, yeah. Because so the, the big question is, you know, is this is this sort of like whitewashing the history of, mm-hmm. of Israel? Is this trying yeah. to make him better? Is it propaganda? Right. It, it does include David's census and his failure there. So it does. It's not like he's perfect in this story, but I, I would think the the author of Chronicles understood people knew that story, mm-hmm. right? He knew Second Kings existed, right? Or the Book of Kings. Um, sorry, Samuel. Right. First thing, Samuel <laughs> existed, so he knew that people had that resource. He he knew people understood this. What he's doing is he's focusing his history in for a specific purpose. Mm-hmm. I mean, we do this today with our histories, sometimes in really egregious ways. But, you know, I think a lot of histories of America for a long time were focused primarily on the positives, on right. why the American ideals are good. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the American ideals in our Constitution are good, so I can understand that kind of history writing. Now there's been a flip to the total other side. Yeah, everything's evil. Everything America does is evil, right? So the Howard Zinn um, version of America where everything is bad. And that also has a, a purpose. It's also written so that, you know, you can bring in some sort of new socialist system or something like that, right? Yeah. Very often. So we do this today. We, and we, you can be truthful, actually, on both ends. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying they are. I'm just saying you can be truthful and just focus on the negatives or focus on the positives. And so we can do that in a sinful way. But here I think he's doing it in a, in a really intentional, positive way, in a, in a godly way, to show them, to illustrate for them who the coming Messiah should be, mm. to, to present David as a model or as a type for the coming king. Yeah, he, he's not presenting 
like the author is not presenting David as the perfect Messiah, right? He's not presenting him as like the one that will save all of Israel. Oh, of course not. Yeah. 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 He obviously falls short, but he's, he's focusing on certain aspects that will be brought to light in the reign of of Jesus. That makes sense. Um, So there's, there's a lot of focus on David's mighty men in chapter 11, which is, is really, it's really fun stuff. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that there's like, he has a lot of ambidextrous warriors. Dude, his warriors are awesome. His mighty men, yeah, they can they can use the bow with both hands. You know, it's pretty great. It's pretty they cool. They got the slings and yeah, the slings with both hands they too. Can like hit a hit a hair. Yeah, they're ambidextrous warriors. It's pretty pretty amazing. Yeah. I wonder if the That's... you know the seals and the rangers are trained in ambidextrous fighting today. Yeah, who'd win, David's mighty men or the Navy SEALs? David's mighty men, for sure. <laughs> well, one of them, I mean, a couple of them fought off like 300 people at a time. That, so. that, exactly. <laughs> I, I love this story. This is, you know, not like the most important story. But I do, I do love the story in chapter 11 where David is camped out of the cave of Adullam, and he's thirsty, so he's, mm-hmm. he's close to Bethlehem. And I love this story. I think it's actually very helpful for us. Chapter 11, verse 17, David said longingly, oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. He remembers how it tastes, right? He was a shepherd. You drink from that well. Oh, it was such good water. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well to Bethlehem, or of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. But then, of course, David would not drink it. He poured it out, poured it out for a homie. I mean, poured it out to the Lord. <laughs> And said, far be it from me before my God that I should do this. Because basically they risked their lives to do this. So why would I drink it? I, I just love, I love, like the king says, says, man, you know what I would love? I'd love a fresh drink of water from that well. And these guys risk life and limb to go and get that cup of water. It, it, is that how we follow the king? Right. I just love that example, right? Of mm-hmm. They... David just like under his breath mutters like, man, I would love that. And you, and you do it for him. For us, I think very often it's God says explicitly, do this or do not do this. Yeah. And we're like, yeah, right. Yeah. When it should all have to be is God saying, this is my desire. Right. And we should be running to do that. Right. So it's very convicting for me to remember just how important it is to follow the king. That's good. Chapters 13 through 15, we see, we're starting to see that the worship component being drawn out the temple component drawn out, which will come into, into fruition in, in Second Chronicles. Yep. But we see that through the Ark. The Ark is, has been neglected. Mm-hmm. And so David wants to bring God's uh, footstool, this picture of the Word of God, back to the center of Israelite worship. It's, it's so funny because you hear about like, you hear about things like the Ark. The Ark is the big one, obviously. that hasn't really been talked about that much, you know, throughout the kings and stuff. And then, like even like or like the bronze serpent from Second Kings, you're like, oh, this thing's still around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, so there's like these huge artifacts from the history of Israel that are, you know, obviously the ark is a different place than the snake, but it's crazy. Like you almost forget about it. It's like, but this is the dwelling place of God with man, right? Yeah. So it's supposed to be central to their worship, and it was, yeah, crazy. Yeah, it really is crazy. So we see it. We see it come back. I love this in chapter 13, verse three. David says, "Let us bring." again, the ark of our God to us, for we did not seek it in the days of Saul. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in other words, they, Saul wasn't seeking God's word. We saw that earlier, mm-hmm. yep. chapter 10. That's why he died. We need to bring God's word back to the cen- center of our worship. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the heart of a king after God's own heart. Right. That's beautiful, right? So he's bringing it back. and But they, as we saw in second, or yeah, 
first Samuel, mm-hmm. second Samuel, second Samuel, we saw that they didn't care for the ark properly. They had it on a yep. cart, pulled by some oxen. It falls off. Uzzah tries to catch it. He dies. So uh, David is upset with God, but really later on he looks back and he reflects that he did not honor God in the way he brought the ark mm-hmm. to to uh, Jerusalem. Right. So what happens is it, it ends up staying in the house of Obed Edom for a few months, and God blesses Obed-Edom. God wants to do that for, for David, but David has to follow God's word. And so we see in chapter 15, he does it the right way. Mm-hmm. Chapter 15, verse 2, David said that no one but the Levites may carry the Ark of God. That's what was commanded in the Old Testament, or in the right. Levitic, or, yeah, Levitical law. That's what was commanded. So he does the thing that's commanded and obeys God. And then in verse 13 of chapter 15, because you did not carry it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not seek him according to the rule. So he acknowledges, he understands that they did the wrong thing. They didn't worship God properly and mm-hmm. honor him as God and didn't follow his rules. And so that's what led to this disaster. So ultimately we see the, the ark brought into the city of Jerusalem. Worship is being centralized. The, the, the kingship, the Davidic line, and the priesthood are being brought together. And we actually see that in the way that it mentions David is dressed. Mm-hmm. It says that David, in verse 27 of chapter 15, it says that David wore a linen ephod. There's actually a lot of emphasis on this. He wore a linen ephod, a linen robe. That's the dress of a priest. Hmm. Now, it's really interesting because priest, a king wasn't allowed to be a priest. Right. We'll see that that causes problems later on with some of the kings. They want to offer a sacrifice, things like that. But David here is sort of at least an image looking like a priest. Mm-hmm. But he's pointing to that that future Messiah who will unite right. priesthood and kingship. Yeah. So so we see that focus on worship. We see that focus on worship developed in chapter 16. Yeah. Where David writes this song of praise to God. Mm-hmm. And we know, of course, that David is a major songwriter right. in Israel, right? He's, got skills. He's, he's got skills. With yeah. the raps. Yeah, and he yeah. was, as, even when he was a shepherd, he was out there singing songs, mm-hmm. right? Um, and really he's the major songwriter right. in Israel. So the king is also a, a worshiper. Mm-hmm. And I love this. I, I love this quote from Reggie McNeil. He said, David fostered a communion with God so powerful that the very words of their conversations still inspire the communion of millions seeking after God's heart themselves. Hmm. So obviously the book of Psalms is filled with his, his songs, but I love that, that, that he was so close with God. He loved God so much that the overflow of that mm. were these poems, these songs that he wrote that bring other people into worship. Right. And what, what an amazing calling. And for someone who's a king, it's, it's, very, it's very interesting, very unique um, in the history of Israel. So that's important, though. David is the chief worshiper. Right. He's the worship pastor, <laughs> the worship leader of Israel. And so he cares a lot about how people people worship. Mm. Yeah, amen. So in chapter 17, we, we see a repetition of the Davidic covenant. Mm-hmm. Remember, this is 2 Samuel chapter 7. We spent a lot of time on this. Um, this, is, this is important to remember, right? Um, because this covenant does not find its fulfillment yet in the kings of Israel. Right. So if you're reading this again as a an exile who's returned, you're looking at this story I'm sure you're thinking this hasn't been fulfilled in any king that we've had. Exactly. So who's going to be the king? Remember, this is about that there's going to be a son of David who will rule on the throne forever, Mm -hmm. who will build a house for God that will stand. 
who is this king going to be? Mm-hmm. So bringing this again is very important. Now, <clears throat> it's interesting that this actually has some contrast with Second Samuel 7. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's a little bit more than I, I noticed, but I, one thing stood out to me pretty clearly in reading this. So if you go to Second Samuel 7, I'm going to just read a little, a little section of this because this is such an important chapter. So 2 Samuel 7, verse 13, God is speaking of the son of David who's going to come. He says, He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Mm-hmm. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rods of men, with the stripes of the son of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him. Right. Okay, so that's in Second Samuel. And then in First Chronicles 17, 12, He shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. That's basically the same thing. I will be to him a father. He shall be to me a son. Same thing. I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from him who was before you. So skips skip something, mm-hmm. which is that idea of discipline. Right. Disciplining the kings. And uh, it's interesting. So why would he not include that? It's not entirely clear. Maybe because they already have seen that in <laughs> such detail that he's wanting to emphasize you know, God is going to establish this throne forever. Yeah. He's going to do it. The, the end of this is not discipline. It's I, I, even if I discipline him, I will not remove my covenant love and loyalty to him. <laughs> he's he's going to be a king. There's going to be a king that will come forever, no matter what happens. Right. So, and I love that the end of of First uh, Chronicles 17. It says David's praying to God, and he says, "Now you have been pleased to bless the house of your servant." that it may continue forever before you, for it is you, O Lord, who have blessed, and it is blessed forever. Mm. So God is blessed. It's going to be blessed forever. Speaking this to people who have gone through a long period of not experiencing God's blessing. Right. Especially not in the Davidic kingdom. You yeah. know, I mean, there's no king on the throne. Uh, they're they're part of a foreign nation. Yeah, They've even gone before that, their kings were horrible. Yeah. 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 So so that's that's an incredible thing to be reminded of if you're in exile reading this. Cool. And then we have uh, some detail more about um, David and worship, right? That's right. So we so. see a big section about David preparing for the building of the temple. Yeah. So what he's doing is he's getting all these resources together. We didn't see much about this. Yeah. In, in it's really interesting. Second Samuel. Yeah. I mean, this is like chapters and chapters, and probably again more detailed than you wanted to hear <laughs> as a reader. But why? Why is God? Give, why is God? Why is this profitable for us mm-hmm. according to Scripture? Um, and it's because we're seeing David and his heart of worship. Um, cute, cheesy worship song there. Yep. Um, but <laughs> but what we're seeing is he, he gets all his resources and he gives a charge to his son Solomon. He, he commands him in this way. He says in, uh, in chapter 22, verse 7, He says, My son, I have had it in my heart to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. Mm-hmm. But basically what he goes on to say is, God wouldn't let me because I had, I had been a man of blood, of warfare. Mm-hmm. And he says, you're going to be the son who's going to fulfill this promise. So verse 10, he says, he shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son. I will be his father. I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. So he says, you're going to start to fulfill this promise from God of a, a kingdom and a temple, especially. So he goes on to say, verse 13, be strong and courageous. Fear not. Do not be dismayed. And then in verse 16, arise and work, the Lord be with you. So he's commanding him, he's urging him to go forward and to do this work. Mm -hmm. And then in verse 19, set your mind 
and your heart to seek the Lord your God. Arise and build the sanctuary of the Lord God, so that the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and the holy vessels of God may be brought into a house built for the name of the Lord. So such emphasis on his commands to his son Mm -hmm. to build God's temple. The true king is a temple builder. Mm. We'll see this in much sharper relief next week in Second Chronicles. But this is the big idea is build the temple of God. There needs to be a place to worship God. It needs to be built with precision in order mm-hmm. to honor him. So the, the next few chapters are all about him organizing the Levites. Mm-hmm. Again, good bedtime reading. The priests, the musicians, right? He goes through all of this organization and preparation in order to build this temple. So, um, and then he gives this charge to Israel where he repeats the same thing he said to Solomon, mm-hmm. right? I wanted to build a temple. God wouldn't let me. <laughs> you know, I'm repeating that because it's very important because David's not quite able to build the temple, but he does have a heart for it and he's preparing for it. Right. Because the true Davidic king will do that. Solomon is the one who will build it, but of course will fall short. Right. Um, and I, I love, I love, you know, this charge to Solomon again in chapter 28, verse 9. You, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Yeah. So again, he's charging him to build a temple. So he gives him the plans of the temple in chapter 28. And we actually see in verse 19 that this was given to him by God. Mm-hmm. So it reminds us a lot of Moses. Mm-hmm. Right, who got the plan for the tabernacle from the mountain. God gave him the plan specifically. So in the same way, there's there's divine inspiration to the construction of the temple, right. which we'll look at a little bit next week. Very important stuff yeah. that God wants us to see in this construction. Um, and right. he, again, that charge to be strong and courageous, to, to God will be with you, do the work of the Lord. Yeah, it's like you hear the same themes throughout... Obviously, Chronicles is just repeating what has already been, you know, told to God's people. But it's like obedience to God and allegiance to Him and His Word like brings life. Deviating from that brings death. And it's like it's a simple concept, but it's like every society and person has, you know, made that same mistake. You yeah, know? it's kind of yeah, it's mind blowing that we haven't learned it even today with people who turn from God. You know, yeah, even as this church, right? We often <laughs> abandon the simple you know, commands of God's word mm-hmm. for some, some sort of mixture of, of Christianity and worldly living. Yep. So a big idea, though, in, the, in First Chronicles that I want to point to is <laughs> King David is a worshiper. Right. He's a worshiper. He's, a, he's the leader of worship. He cares about uh, God through God, worshiping God through music, through the actual physical place of worship, through mm-hmm. uh, the symbols God has given to them. All of it, David's trying to bring together Mm-hmm. to solidify worship in order to honor God as he deserves. Right. That's what a true king does. Right. So that it clearly points us to to you know the New Testament and to Jesus Christ. Yeah, I mean, that's a, yeah, that's a great segue. So the gospel connection, obviously, we've seen in a bunch of different ways is the, the coming king. Um, but what other gospel connections do we see in Chronicles here? It's, in a, it's an overview of the Old Testament, so I think it's pretty obvious to a lot of people. Yes. Um, but yeah, let's talk so, about So yeah, but we don't miss these. So again, we've talked about Jesus as the... Fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. So this whole tracing of the the genealogy, there will be a similar genealogy in Luke and in Matthew, pointing to Jesus as the fulfillment. Luke actually goes, just like Chronicles, back to Adam, starts there, well, kind of ends there, but yeah, you know what I'm saying, Mm -hmm. Um, in order to point to Jesus as the fulfillment of all of those promises. Mm -hmm. 
So that idea of corporate solidarity that we talked about, where we sin in Adam and we, you know, um, re- reap the the punishment of these kings in Israel, that finds its fulfillment in our corporate solidarity in Jesus Christ. Right? Second Corinthians five twenty one, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, yep. so that we may become the righteousness of God in him. So God has given to us righteousness by that corporate solidarity, that being united with Christ, mm-hmm. that he takes our sin and he gives us righteousness. It's imputed right. to us. We also see this in Ephesians yeah. right, very often, right? Ephesians uh, 1.4, right? Even as he chose us in him, in Jesus, before the foundation of the world. That's the repeated phrase in Ephesians, in him, in him. So that corporate solidarity is so important, yeah. that we are united with Christ, and therefore we receive the benefits of Christ, just like we received the curses of Adam and the, the the negative impact of the failure of Israel's kings. Yeah, Romans five, talking about yeah, absolutely yeah, death and Adam, life in Christ, right? Absolutely, so. yeah. So and then, but the big thing I would want to point to is Jesus Christ as the true worshiper. Mm. Jesus shows us how to worship God. Yeah. So of course, He also unites us to God so that we can worship Him. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to. Right. Um, if we're far away from God, if we're stained by sin, we need a sacrifice to come near. That's the most, you know, essential act of, of worship right. to bring us near to God. But, but Jesus also shows us how to worship. In John 4.23, again, we talked about this last week, but the Samaritan woman, he's speaking to the Samaritan woman, he says, the hour is coming and now is here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Mm. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So Jesus is educating people on what true worship is. Right. It has to be done on God's terms, according to God's commands, it can't be done simply as, as we think mm. or as we feel is right. Right. Yep. So he's the true worshiper. I also, I also thought of Ephesians 2, or sorry, Hebrews 2, um, verses 10 to 13. Um, speaking of, of Jesus Christ as our, our high priest, it says, It was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who sanctif- who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, now this is the important part, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Mm. And again, I will put my trust in him. John Calvin, speaking of this passage, says that it's showing us that Christ is the chief conductor of all of our hymns. Mm-hmm. He's the one leading worship. He's saying, I'm going to, with my brothers, sing praises to the Father. Hmm. So Jesus shows us what sacrifice is, but ultimately what worship is yeah. and how we should live for God. Yeah. Well, amen to that. Um, that's all we got for this week. So yeah. thanks for joining us. We hope it's pointing you to Jesus uh, as the, the need for us all and the, the great king and the great high priest of us all. Um, we're going to get the, the rest of uh, Chronicles um, next week, right? Or we're going to do two more weeks of Chronicles. Yeah, I think we have two more weeks of Chronicles. Yeah, yeah, so we got some time in this awesome book. Make sure you read it, um, even though it's boring. You know, there's a lot of good stuff that we can learn about God's truth. Thanks for joining us for Daily Gospel. We hope it's equipping you to know God through His Son and, uh, and His Word. So we'll see you next week.